Um, the hearts of some people may have sunk as uh, the title of the message is up on the screen, The Justice of God. Others may have been elated. But anyway, that's what I'm going to be preaching on today. And uh, during this season of us having a summer break, um, I've, well, the eldership have asked us to, to give topical teachings. And for me, that's quite uncomfortable, especially being in the setting that we're in now in Ecclesia, where we, we go through expositionally, line by line. Um, I, I think the last time I teach topically was a very long time ago, maybe like 10 years ago. Right? So, yeah, please bear with me. Uh, we're going to be jumping through quite a few scriptures, but um, God is good. Amen. So, the reason why I've chosen the topic today, the justice of God, is it seemed to be a pattern that was kind of emerging in some of the messages that um, I've previously done. So um, earlier in the year, we were going through the book of John, and, and I was given John chapter 18, and we looked at Jesus' trial and Peter's denial. And what was just interesting is the injustice that, that Jesus went through, um, through his trial, and how it was completely illegal. And then also, uh, more recently, in Ecclesiastes, we've been looking at um, the meaning of life and um, Koheleth looks at uh, the fact that we shouldn't be amazed by oppression of the poor and injustice. And the reason why this all kind of tied together was because I think justice is something that's so important to all of us. And particularly with, uh, in light of recent events in, in the United States um, with police brutality um, and what happened to um, Alton Sterling and Philando Castile, I think it's quite, it's quite timely that we, we go to God's word and see what he says about justice. Um, amen. So I'm going to be reading from Isaiah chapter 36, 13 to 21, and then we'll pick it up again from chapter 37, verse 33 to 38. So if you could... If you could stand with me for the reading of God's word, that would be, be wonderful. Amen. So reading from Isaiah chapter 36, um, from verse 13. Oh, okay. Then the commander stood and called out in Hebrew, Hear the words of the great king, the king of Assyria. Thus says the king, I'll, I'll read, I'm reading from the ESV, um, so that's NIV up there. But yeah. Thus says the king, do not let Hezekiah deceive you, for he will not be able to deliver you. Do not let, Hez let Hezekiah make you trust in the Lord by saying, the Lord will surely deliver us. This city will not be given into the, the hand of the king of Assyria. Do not listen to Hezekiah, for thus says the king of Assyria, make your peace with me and come out to me. Then each one of you will eat his own vine, and each one of you his own fig tree, and each one of you will drink the water of his own cistern, until I come and take you away to a land like your own land, a land of grain and wine, a land of bread and vineyards. Beware, lest Hezekiah mislead you by saying, the Lord will deliver us. Has any of the gods of the nations delivered his, his land out of the hand of the king of Assyria? Where are the gods of Hamath and Ark? Arpad, where are the gods of Sepharvaim? Sefer, Sefer, have they delivered Samaria out of my hand? 
Who among all the gods of these lands have delivered their lands out of my hands, that the Lord shall deliver Israel out of my hands? But they were silent and asked him not a word, for the king's command was, do not answer him. So going up to 30, chapter 37. 37, 33 to 38. Therefore says the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, he shall not come into this city or shoot an arrow there or come before it with a shield or cast up a siege mound against it. By the way that he came, by the same he shall return and he shall not come into this city, declares the Lord. For I will defend this city to save it for my own sake, for the sake of my servant David. And the angel of the Lord went out and struck down 185,000 of the camp of the Assyrians. And when, the pe when people arose early in the morning, behold, these were all dead bodies. Then Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and returned home and lived at Nineveh. And as he was worshipping in the house of Nichrosh, his god, Adramelech and Shereza, his son, struck him down with the sword. And after they escaped into the land of Ararat, Esarhaddon, his son reigned in his place. Amen. Please be seated. So if we just take a step back, the context of, of this passage is that the kingdom of Israel is divided. The northern, northern kingdom has been completely conquered. And now these Assyrians that are brutally destroying all of the nations around them are coming down into the southern kingdom and they've besieged Jerusalem. So just imagine the fear that must have gripped uh, those who were in the city. 185,000 men outside the walls. And they're truly tempted, um, they're truly tempted to give in. But what do we see? We see that the Lord, the Lord provides a way out and the angel of the Lord struck 185,000 of the camp of the Assyrians down. The reason I've chosen this, this particular passage is because it's always fascinated me. It's always fascinated me um, because, particularly with what Mikey does um, on, on Saturdays in Lewisham, the evangelism, these are questions that we're going to be asked that, okay, God is love. God is peace, God is good, but God is also justice as well, right? And yeah, for some people, passages like these are very disturbing, that God could just destroy 185,000 men in one day, just like that. And so I think it's particularly important that we, we know why, uh, why God is justice and why we need justice. Amen. What we read throughout the whole of the Bible is that if we're not willing to submit to God's, God's rule, that ultimately he would make, he'll make us slaves. He'll make us slaves to what? Slaves to sin. We see the, uh, the Israelites, when they, when they didn't do what God had asked them, God would send them into a foreign land and they would be, they would be lost. They would be destitute. They would need him. And that was the purpose of that's the purpose of what God was doing. He would bring um, justice upon them in order for them to come back to him. 
And again, they wanted, uh, they wanted kings, they wanted judges. They, they had those. Um, but what do we see in judges? That no, uh, everyone, did, everyone did and saw as they thought was fit. And isn't that so true? And we look around us that everyone kind of does and, and says and believes what they see as fit. But all it does is cause destruction. Second Chronicles 7.14 says that we should seek God's face, turn from our wicked ways, humble ourselves, and we, then we will hear from heaven and God will forgive us and heal the land. The land needs to be healed. Amen. So the first point I'm going to cover is why do we struggle with justice? Why do we struggle with this idea that God um, will judge us? A very common phrase amongst many people who will try and argue against submitting to God, submitting to his word is, only God can judge me. Like, why are you talking to me? Only God can judge me. Uh, I find this, this saying quite fascinating because it's just so loaded. It's like, okay, only God can judge you. Yes, he will judge you. And the truth is that with God's justice, we either fall on the side of um, him judging us and rewarding us or we fall on the side of him judging us and us being condemned. So why do we struggle with justice? We struggle with justice because man has let us down. So if you could just put uh, Numbers 23, 19 up for me and we'll just have a look at that. So Numbers 23, 19. So God is not man that he should lie or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not fulfill it? So I think another reason why we struggle with the justice of God is we've tried to um, understand justice being executed in a in our sphere as human beings, and what do we see? We see politicians that let us down. We see laws that are made and then are changed. So, for example, we go and park our car somewhere and one week, and then the next week we realize, oh, we're going to get a ticket this week. Uh, so, yeah, God is not a man. He will not lie. Like, yeah, he doesn't change his mind, and that's the beautiful thing about God's justice. God's law remains the same. Yes, it remains. Like, it doesn't change. Amen. Another reason why we struggle with justice is because we try and execute justice ourselves. We, we are wronged against, and we try and exact that judgment on other, that, that justice on others. And what does it cause in the end? It just cause, causes trouble and bloodshed. If we look at the first, the first instance in scripture, we look at Cain and Abel and how um, uh, Cain sought, sought to kill his brother because his brother pr pr produced a sacrifice that was pleasing to God. Um, if we look at Deuteronomy 32, 35, this will provide some evidence for the ven vengeance belonging to God. Amen.
32, 35. So vengeance is mine and recompense for the time when their foot shall slip, for the day of their calamity is at hand and their doom comes swiftly. So we don't need to worry. We don't need to worry when, when things go wrong and we can't sort them out. But we must trust that the Lord will provide uh, recompense, as it says in the verse there, that he will um, provide vengeance also. Amen. So another reason why we struggle with justice is because we know we're sinners. And if we're sinners, what does that mean in terms of justice? Ezekiel says that the sinning soul will die. Will die. But one of the most uh, fascinating portions of scripture that I find is uh, the book of Job, when we think about God and his justice. So we're taken through this beautiful journey of how uh, man tries to understand, why has this thing happened to Job? Why has Job been afflicted? We're in Job 8, we're asked, does God pervert justice? Job 9, oh, God must be a tyrant then. Job 19, where is justice? Like, where is the justice? Job, this good and this upright man, has been afflicted for what? Job 29, justice and righteousness clothe us. And then in conclusion, Elio asserts God's justice in chapter 34 and 37, the conclusion, God is just. So without Jesus, what does justice do? Justice condemns us. If we're not Resting in Christ, if we're not putting our faith in the only begotten Son of God, then we will receive justice, and that will ultimately end in condemnation. Another wonderful verse is Psalm 37, 28, that justice upholds the saints, but it will destroy the evil. Jesus said that he who doesn't believe is already condemned. Just by default, we, we are we're under God's justice. We, the punishment is we're guilty. But through Christ, we're able to be free from that, free from that guilt, free from that punishment. And we're able to receive forgiveness. The next point, God provides justice, but man cannot. So as I mentioned earlier, uh, a lot of us have been let down in life, let down uh, by the justice system. Again, earlier I mentioned how we see injustice all throughout the world, not just in America, everywhere we see it. Um, And in this particular passage, in the first chapter of Isaiah 21 to 27, Uh, we see how Israel have become unfaithful through injustice. So if we just bring that up, Isaiah chapter 1, 21 to 27. It says, How the faithful city has become a whore. She who was full of justice, righteousness has lodged her, but now murderers. Your silver has become dross, your best wine mixed with water. Your princes are rebels and companions of thieves. Everyone loves a bribe and runs after gifts. They do not bring justice to the fatherless. 
and the widow's cause does not come to them. Therefore the Lord declares, the Lord of hosts, the mighty one of Israel, ah, I will get relief from my enemies and avenge myself on my foes. I will turn my hand against you and will smelt away your dross as with lye and remove all your alloy. And I will restore your judges at the first and your counselors at the beginning. Afterward, you shall be called the city of righteousness, the faithful city. Zion shall be redeemed by justice and those in her who repent by righteousness. Again, God looked for justice in Israel um, in the book of Isaiah. And, and what did he find? He found bloodshed. He looked for righteousness and he found outcry. So why can't, why can't human beings judge? Because we're sinners with impure motives. Absalom even tried to say, make me judge. And I'll assure justice, but we all know that we, we can't do that. We're, we're unable to. Even Jonah, by him running away, he tried to in some way affect God's justice. He was like, okay, if I run away now, then God isn't going to bring me to them. And if he isn't going to bring me to them, then they can't hear the word. If they can't hear the word, they can't repent, which is what obviously I don't want them to do. And it's, it's just crazy. Like, we can't do that. We can't, we can't try and appropriate God's judgment on others. And even in doing so, James tells us that our, even our anger can't produce the righteousness of God. We just have a complete inability to be just and to rationally, uh, uh, yeah, judge things correctly. So Proverbs 17, 23, our inability to, to be just. Proverbs 27, 17, sorry. So the wicked accepts a bribe in secret to pervert the ways of justice. Yes, yeah, so as I mentioned earlier, that judges were appointed to judge righteously and they were given instruction how to do so. And it's really a scary thought that God actually put that responsibility into their hands. Um, in, in Matthew chapter 7, we're told that uh, we shouldn't judge, but we should judge with righteous judgment. So how are we able to do this? He even told them in the Old Testament they shouldn't pervert justice. We look at examples of people who enacted justice correctly. So David was said to have administered justice well. Um, and Samuel's sons, not so well. Um, Joel and Abijah, they perverted the, the, the justice. But one thing that is comforting to us as believers is that uh, we're able to understand justice. But the, those who do not know Christ are unable to. So Proverbs 28, 5. Evil men do not understand justice, but those who seek the Lord understand it completely. 
But ultimately, it's God alone, right, who provides justice. He ultimately is the one who will judge all. So is God really just? Does he care? Does he really care when we look around and we see all this injustice? God doesn't need to be taught justice. He is justice. He is the one who's able to judge between right and wrong, the one who is able to determine righteousness and what is actually sinfulness. God loves justice, Psalm 33, 5. God's throne is established for righteousness and justice. In fact, it's said that it is his foundation. In Isaiah 9, 7, we're told how Jesus will uphold righteousness in the new kingdom. So we don't need to fear, we don't need to worry that we see injustice all around us because we know that ultimately it's not going to be completely possible in this life, but it will be in the, in the new life, in the new kingdom, with Christ ruling and judging, righteousness will be able to be upheld. And how, how, else, how else do we know that God really cares about justice? If we read Deuteronomy 10, 18, it talks about how God commands Israel to care for those who are ostracized, those who are foreigners, those who are oppressed, that they should remember that they once were those who were oppressed in, in Egypt, that they were the ones that were beaten with whips. They were the ones who were uh, commanded to do things that, uh, they, that were just unbearable. They were slaves. How else do we know that? Even through the, the Old Testament and the laws that God gives, he provides ample evidence that we should care, that he does care, sorry, about those who are oppressed and those who are the least reached. A beautiful passage again in Deuteronomy 32 verse 4 talks about how God is great, he is just and he is faithful. I just want to read that to you. I'll read from verse for I will proclaim to the name of the Lord, ascribe greatness to our God, the rock. His work is perfect for all his ways of justice. A God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and upright is he. So as I mentioned earlier, God doesn't change. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He, he remains the same yesterday, today and forever. He is a God of faithfulness, unchanging. Without iniquity, that means he's without sin, just and upright. Ascribe greatness to our God. God is exalted in justice and he's shown holy in his righteousness. Isaiah 5 verse 16.
But the Lord of hosts is exalted in justice, and the, holy, and the holy God shows himself holy in righteousness. So this is why it's necessary that God is just. This is why it's necessary that God uh, demonstrates that he cares about us. Because he's holy. He, he, can't, he cannot let, let sin go unpunished. He cannot allow... Um, yeah, he cannot allow sin to go unpunished. And this is one of the things that just makes me so comforted by the God that we serve. It makes me comforted because when I look at all the other faiths um, in the world, I see that they, yes, they have, some of them have many good principles, which ultimately are just from, from Scripture anyway. And yet there seems to be this distinct lack of, of justice, uh, a just God, a God that will judge rightly like if god if god is is just then and if he's a good judge then he must punish sin and i look at islam I, I don't see that i see a god who will who will pardon um evil i see a god who will um excuse excuse certain things that are sinful how could how could how could i serve a god like that how could i serve a god that, that who who, who will not, who, for example, people in history that have, have done wicked things, that they'll go away and they'll, they maybe not get punished for it. Like, that, that doesn't sit right with me. So what is God's response to his justice? What is God's response? Um, what's, what, what's, what's his expectation of us in response to his justice and our participation in that. So our role in, in God's course of justice. So as as Christians, those those of you in here who who have put faith in Christ, those of you who who understand that um, we're saved by grace um, through faith, and that it's not it's not of our works, it's not of ourselves, but it's the gift of God. We can't boast in it. The fact is that. We must not fear God's justice. God's justice is a blessing to us. It is, it is that hope that we'll be provided with reward. Proverbs talks about the fear of the Lord being the beginning of wisdom. In order to, to judge correctly, we need to have wisdom. So we mustn't fear the judgment of God, but we must fear the Lord is in understanding how great he is. Like, he's a great God, and we must honor and respect him. So, in Proverbs 21, 3, we're told that we're to do right and justice. That in a similar way to another passage, it talks about obedience being better than sacrifice. This is what God wants. He wants us to 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 seek and to um, support those who are who are suffering injustice. Um, Jesus condemned condemned the Pharisees when he said that you you do all these things, but yet you've forsaken justice, mercy, and faithfulness. 
We're blessed when we observe justice. So how do we go about this, uh, participating in supporting God in providing justice on earth? Proverbs 8.20 says that we should walk in the way of justice. We're told that justice is enabled through faith. So don't, you don't need to worry. You don't need to be like, oh God, how am I going to walk in your way of justice? It's enabled by faith. Put your faith in Christ. We're also encouraged to pray for our kings. That it's good and pleasing to do so. That we should be persistent in praying and pleading for justice. This is what God desires. And he gives us a perfect example in Luke 18. Where we look, about, look and see the, the widow. How she's persistent. And she keeps going and she keeps going. She keeps asking. Please provide justice. This is how God wants us to pray. When we see all this wickedness out in the world. We're also told that wisdom and justice follow the righteous. So it's almost like a two-way thing, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, but yet wisdom and justice follow those who are righteous. So we're to pray. We're to seek justice by praying persistently. We're to wait upon God. And this is another thing that that it's quite frustrating for us when we see justice and we're like, oh God, when are you going to come? When are you going to come and sort all of this out? Well, wait for God because he is glorified in you doing so. God will use this to test our faith. God will use this to bless, bless our waiting, that through our waiting, he will be glorified. Jesus seeks to do justice and he's swift to do righteousness. Psalm 101 verse 1. What are we to do of justice? I will sing of steadfast love and justice to you, O Lord. I will make music. We're to sing, we're to delight in God's justice. What are the words in, in the prayer that, that Jesus taught us? The Lord's Prayer. Wow, the believer's prayer. That we're to, we're to ask him, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That is, that is, what, we, that is what we should desire as believers. God's, God's rule and his reign coming here. As image bearers of God, we understand that we should share his attributes. So justice is one of God's attributes, as is love, his peace, his holiness, his goodness. So he shares that with us. He, put, he shares that with those who trust him. So in Genesis 18:19, we're told of how Abraham was chosen to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice. We're told of how Solomon was, 
was blessed by Queen Sheba as um, she commended how he received God's blessing to judge. So, why justice? Why justice? So out of love, Psalm 119, 141, God gives us life according to his justice. Many of us may be like, wow, why, why should God judge? Like, isn't that unfair? Isn't it unfair that I should be judged? But yet yeah, it's God's purpose that he gives us life. So his justice and his mercy work hand in hand. That those who are ostracized, those who are outcasts, are able to receive mercy. In Romans we're told that um, there's no neither male nor female, Jew nor Greek, um, bond nor free, that, that can accept except salvation. Salvation is for all. And ultimately, God's greatest act of justice was exacted on his son so that we may be free from his, his wrath. Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.